Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from Monday Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter with a jam-packed show tonight. What don't we have on the show? Well, we don't have James Harden on the show. We don't have David Letterman on the show. But we do have Coach Cully. We do have Chris Conley. We do have John Grenard. We have my picks and my keys, and we've got John Grenard again, mixed in, Mark Vandermeer, D.P. Sidhu, Drew Doherty, and myself. So we've got a lot to do on the show this evening. So let's kick it off with the head coach of your football team, Houston Texans, David Culley, who caught up with Mark Vandermeer this afternoon. Coach, back on the road again, and how does it help you that not only did Davis have a better performance against the Patriots last week, but he's been through what he's been through at Buffalo, played at Cleveland. Now you go back in the division. At least you're indoors, too. Yes, and, you know, playing a division opponent, Mark, we're, we're, the only divisional game we've played this year was Jacksonville. We won it. This is our second one. Uh, it's still early. There's a bunch of games left, and it's always critical to take care of the division. And we got a division opponent that's basically in a similar situation that we're in. We're looking forward to it. The motivation to go there right now is tremendous to be able to do the things that we need to do. And we're looking forward to going there. You threw the ball a lot better last time out. You ran the ball a little bit better. Are you close to getting the balance or closer anyway that you're seeking, Coach? There was more consistency this past week than, mm -hmm. than we had had. And the thing is, is that because of the circumstances, uh, I thought we ran the ball well enough to be able to allow us to throw the ball the way we did. And basically they were allowing us. They were putting guys up in the box. And, and uh, we, we knew that we had to – we were getting one-on-one -on -one type situations. And, and uh, Davis and our receivers and our tight ends and our backs did a great job of, of taking care of their one-on-one -on -one matchups. And we ended up getting some big plays off of that. Colts gave up a lot of yards last week, but they were really good earlier in the game, and they've been good at times this year. So how challenging is that to face their defense and what they might throw at you? Well, it's very challenging because I've, I've heard them say the comment, I think, for about maybe six of eight quarters, those guys have played really good defense. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about it is, is you've got to play in a ball game, you've got to play four quarters of good defense or offense. Uh, we kind of know what that's like. So the thing about it is is that, we understand that the bottom line is, is that you have to play for four quarters and you have to finish the right way. And if you finish the right way, you eliminate that, those kind of things from ever happening, those laws in those ball games. And the big thing is that's just to finish, just to finish exactly what you're doing and remember what got you to where you are. We talked about balance for the Texans. The Colts seem to be balanced on offense. Taylor running the football, and Carson Wentz really heating up right now, Coach. Well, I'll tell you what, he's playing. This past game they played in Baltimore, he looked like that four years ago, that candidate for the MVP. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's a heck of a player. He's had success in this league. He's had some injuries. He seems to be healthy right now. When he's healthy, he's one of the best quarterbacks in this league, and it'll be a challenge for us to do that. But what they've been doing right now is they've had a good running game. Uh, when he's on with the passing game, it's a very balanced attack. And uh, Frank Reich and those guys do a good job up there. They know exactly what they want to do. They have a system. They have an offense there that they run. And they've been very effective and was very effective uh, this past week. One more question about your offense, Coach. How much does it help you that the tackles that you're 
going to put out there. Had some success in the preseason for you, as well as got a little taste of action last week, of course. But in the preseason, you had a lot of production on the ground. Well, Mark, that's why the preseason games are so important. Because right. you know that at some point you get in a situation where when injuries happen. And, and during the preseason, the one thing that we did, we moved guys all over. And being able to have that experience from having played in some games and doing that, obviously we've got some injuries right now. And basically we go to next man up mentality. And when those guys come in, they've been there and done that. And, and that's a very comforting to know that they've been there. And, and, and basically they know what's expected of them. All right, what can you tell us about the kicking game in this matchup with Indianapolis? Well, i tell you what, uh, you know, obviously uh, we both had some struggles, mm-hmm. you know, the, the past week. Uh, we, we, we both got really good kickers that we know that can get the job done and are very good in this league. And basically what we, what we did coming into this week was to make sure that correct the little mistakes that we did to, to move forward and knowing that everything that happened that wasn't good last week was correctable. We corrected it, and we felt like that uh, just like this past game, it's going to go down to somebody uh, kicking a field goal or somebody making an extra point in a game. And uh, when you have the kind of games that you expect in this league, especially in the division. So I feel good about where we're going right now. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. You're welcome, Mark. All right, excellent stuff there from Coach Cully. Glad he joined us, as he does each and every Friday. And by us, I mean Mark. Because, well, I get the opportunity to talk to Nick Casario on game day. And, well, the trade-off is Mark gets to talk to Coach Cully on game day or on Friday, either way, depending on how you want to slice. Okay, injury slash status report is out. We definitely have got to get into this. It's more extensive on the Colts side, but it's not the best of news on the Texans side. So here we roll for this one. Justin Britt and Desmond King. Now, Justin's been banged up dealing with a knee, and he has not and did not participate in practice all week. He is questionable. Desmond King moved from a limited participant dealing with the hip to a DNP today. He is also questionable. Out, we already know, is Larry Tunsil. Now, I find it interesting Laramie is still on the injury report. He did not go to IR, as of not, at least not now, but Laramie is out of this one. Limited participants of practice today, Danny Mandola, Rex Burkhead. I would like to think they're both trending in a positive direction, but already down Marcus Cannon, Laramie Tunsil out. Justin Britt didn't practice all week. This offensive line could be a very interesting one on Sunday. Interesting is about the way to describe it for the Indianapolis Colts. They're already down Quentin Nelson. He's on IR. They're all pro guard. They'll also be without Braden Smith, who was drafted in the same draft with Nelson. He is their starting right tackle. He is out. More than likely means Julian Davenport, former Texan, in at right tackle again. Also out for the Colts. Rodrigo Blankenship, kicker. Andrew Sandejo, Rice alum. Concussion, he is out. I mentioned Smith, Kamiko Toure with a groin injury on the edge. He's out. Jordan Wilkins dealing with a non-football illness. He is out. They have five players out. Uh, Blankenship, uh, he obviously is a starting kicker. Sendejo started last week at safety. Braid Smith is starting right tackle. Toure is a key, uh, key guy out on the edge. And then Jordan Wilkins... Well, they've got plenty of backs. And they're not going to cry in their beer about not having Jordan Wilkins. Full participants today at practice. Darius Leonard, Isaac Rochelle, Rocky Asini hasn't played for a couple of games. He could be back to starting corner. Other starting corner is Xavier Rhodes. He was a full participant today in practice. He's in the concussion protocol. He's listed as questionable. But 
in for the Colts. Quiddy Pay, the rookie defensive end. Darius Leonard dealing with the ankle and a shoulder. So five guys out for the Colts, one for the Texans. That one for the Texans is a big one, figuratively and literally. Not literally, literally in this one with Laramie Tunsil being out. So injuries at this point of the year, it's not too surprising the the way that you look at lineups and go, okay, well, where are we? What are, what do we got here? Well, this is one of those weeks where you look at the offensive line in particular and you're like, okay, if Justin Britt can't go, Justin McCray's got to step in. If, well, Laramie Tunsil can't go, that's Jaron Christian more than likely at left tackle. So how's this line going to look? Well, I would imagine from left to right, Christian Tunsil, question mark, Britt or McCray, I'll say that. Right guard, Max Sharping, and then right tackle, Charlie Heck. So, look, the Colts, it's not much better. It's Eric Fisher at left tackle. You've got Chris Reed, who's filling in for Quentin Nelson. You've got Ryan Kelly, one of the best centers in the league. Right guard, Mark Lewinsky, and Julian Davenport. That is not the offensive line either team imagined having heading into week six. But, as they say, tis what it is. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. You're just going to go up there and battle against the Colts. One guy that is going to see a lot of Braden Smith and probably a lot of Eric Fisher is John Grenard. And our buddy Drew Doherty caught up with JG to talk about, well, all things not football and our Drew's dozen. Jonathan Grenard, you and I have done this a time or two. This is our first time to talk in person, so person. good to see you, my oh, friend. Oh, it's good. I'm glad to finally meet in person. Yeah, I know, I know. I've, asked you, I've asked you about music a lot <laughs> over the years, yeah. but I'm going to start off with some stepping because okay. there is an awesome video of you yeah, back yeah. from training camp. Desmond King was mixed in there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys were stepping, and it got a lot of great reaction, yeah. especially from your fraternity, oh, Omega yeah. Sci-Fi. Tell me about what that was and explain what, what folks were seeing who don't understand or haven't seen that before. Yeah, so, like, you know, as me being the bros, we call ourselves the bros, being Omega Sci-Fi fraternity incorporated, you know, one – the greatest fraternity on, on the, in the land. Um, but, yeah, you know, Dez, you know, Jalil, AJ, uh, even Coach Allen. I mean, we pretty much all the, we're the bros. We, that's our way of you celebrating. You know? that's, mm-hmm. When we hear Atomic Dog, come on, that's like our, that's like our anthem. Atomic Dog we, is Atomic a song. Atomic Dog okay. is definitely the anthem. I mean, pretty much you hear that. You play that anywhere, you might see, you know, I don't care where you are. You might see a guy peep his head back and he gets to <laughs> stepping just like we do. I mean, we, we call it hopping. I know a lot of people say uh, stepping. Oh, it's, know, it's hopping. It's okay, called, all right. Look, okay. So, so we basically, we, we call it hopping. So hopping. That's, as you see it, it kind of looks like we're hopping mm-hmm. pretty much. So, But, yeah, we, we love to do that. That's, that's, that's the greatest thing that I pretty much did when I was in college, um, them as well. And then it's something that we carry over. We pretty much hold that brotherhood strongly like no other. So anywhere we go, we, we meet a bro, uh, a friend, we call him, and, and we, we hit it off. It yeah. don't matter if I've never met you before in my life. I mean, we're going to sit there and talk about uh, the frat, just in, each other in life. So I, I, I love the fraternity to death. The hop-in was cool because – you know, you even incorporated like a handstand yeah. I think, in there. What's that goal? What's what's the, the deal well, there? When you get when you get a little couple of years in the game, you understand how hopping works and the little <laughs> agile little twist to it here and there off of certain routines. It definitely you can you can throw a little hands in there. Des, he's really somebody. Let me be real with you. Hopping and all that crazy other stuff is really for the smaller dudes oh, who okay. can do more okay. like it because he can do a little handstand. There's some guy, some big guys can do some stuff too, but he definitely he did the handstand. So yeah, I'm gonna let the little dudes handle that one. Well, you're being modest because you had some <laughs> yeah, agility some, in there. You yeah, you I were not some, handling yeah, yourself yeah. like a big 
you know, clumsy yeah. guy. I mean, you were handling yourself like a like a little guy. For I mean, so. does that kind of does that kind of help out or oh, as sure. a as a defensive lineman? I mean, I mean, hopping is definitely not easy. I mean, it, it's easy obviously once you get the hang of it, but you still have to understand you're still doing physical activity. You know, jumping around on one leg, you know, spinning off the other leg, you know, just hitting yeah. the split. And these are things that are, I mean, if you you land the wrong way, it could be pretty dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, man, we, we, we're athletes in this thing. I think everybody who can, can attest to it in the uh, in the fraternity of guys being nimble and uh, light on their feet, uh, you got to be in this game. So I think overall, it, it's fun. It gets you obviously warmed up too. You have to warm up, or you might pull a hamstring doing a little kick or something like that. Or so, worse, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. America's funniest home videos oh, is, is made a whole uh, oh, two decades worth, three decades worth of, of videos off you know of that. It. In regards to that, on May 25th, oh, yeah. a while back, you were born. That's I your birthday. Born. Did you also know that it's National Tap Dance Day in I the United States of America? I did not know that. I've never even heard that. That's yeah. crazy. I know some people that had like similar birthdays, but I didn't know that was actually a day. That's We're going to get to that in a moment. Okay. But tap dancing, you ever do it growing up? You're, set, you're a hell of a singer. I wanted to try it so bad. I think I still might actually try to pick it up one time. I mean, I don't see why not. Really? I, mean, I just want to see how it is. I was just was curious because, I mean, until I actually seen the shoes and how they're actually made, I was like, okay, I can understand why. Because I would get my – when I was a little kid, I used to get my dress shoes and go in there and try to see if that works. <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, I'm just scratching up my mama's floor. You got to put so. those plates on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to put the plates on So. Once I seen that, I mean, I was just kind of interested, but I, I I don't see why I wouldn't pick it back up sometime. Yeah. Well, maybe we're putting seed in there hey. and kind of germinating. Hey, it's yeah, it's on your sure. birthday, May 25th. <laughs> now, you brought up some names. Now, hold off on your, the names you're going to tell me, but other people born on your birthday on May 25th, Mike Myers, who's right. Austin Powers, right. the wrestler, Roman oh, Reigns, yep. mm-hmm. actor, Cillian Murphy, who's, Cillian Murphy. man, he's been a bad guy in uh-huh. some, some good, good movies, plus the creator of The Muppets, Frank really? Oz. Frank I did not know Oz, that. yes. That's another one I didn't know. Who are, who are you, who do you think of when you think Brian of Brian Urlacher. So when that's I was coming up. One. That's a good one. When I was coming up, I actually, when I got a football, but I was in elementary school, I seen a, a football book that had some of the top players in there. Mm-hmm. I seen Brian Urlacher. Obviously, we all know who he is, well-respected linebacker. And I looked at the birthday, and I said, oh, okay, well, now we got something mm-hmm. in common. So ever since then, I just remember that, like, in the top of my head. Sure. I knew that Brian Urlacher was, uh, had this, <laughs> we shared the same birthday. You ever cross paths with him? I know I wish to. I hope to. I mean, that's. That's the goat right there. I mean, I, yeah. I grew up watching him. And that's all I kind of when I played linebacker, it was him and Ray Lewis. All I wanted to be like. So, yeah, yeah. So him, those two are definitely my my idols as far as that position goes. Okay, out of those other four or five that I brought up, mm-hmm. which one would you most like to encounter or, or just just chit chat with at some point or another? I would like to. I think tough. Frank Oz isn't with us anymore. Say, he, he's right. Passed, so if he so. was still here, I would definitely give him. And Roman Reigns. I'm a big WWE guy. I like me and my brother. We grew up watching WWE. All I mean, we still watch it to this point. Who's your favorite ever? Uh, it's between Randy Orton and Randy Orton's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Batista as well. Batista. Okay. Yeah, Do you talk wrestling at all with any of your teammates? Not much. I mean, I don't know how many people watch it. Oh, oh there's always. It doesn't matter if right. you're in an NFL locker room, if you're probably in a ballet company, <laughs> if you're in an accounting firm. There's always a yeah. subset of folks that like yeah. wrestling. You know, there's always. Got, some people got their mixed emotions as far as, you know, it's fake and all that. Look, I'm not worried about that. I'm oh, looking they're, for the They're amazing athletes love, and they're hella, hella, and incredible you entertainers. What, you yeah. go out there and dive from the top ropes mm-hmm. and see if you feel something, see if it's fake. So that's what part I love about it. So my brother, yeah, we, we, we'll talk that all the time. So uh, I still like wrestling. Well, you can talk with Justin Britt. I know he's a big oh. Stone Cold Steve Austin oh, guy. Ma- imagine that. Roy <laughs> Lopez loves The Rock, but you're a Randy yeah, Orton guy. For okay. sure, for sure. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Okay, let's do a little – you ever seen the show Ted Lasso on Apple Plus? I have not. Give it a try sometime in yeah, the off season or something. It's pretty funny, but there's a question he asks. First concert you ever saw, best concert. Oh, that's good. So best concert was probably – that's tough. First one, 
21 Savage Rapper, 21 Savage Youngboy concert. It was in college. Just went just mm-hmm. to see how it was. It was fun. But I'm going to preface this now. I'm going to see her tomorrow. She's actually coming to town. Mm. I'm definitely going to see how she is. And I believe, honestly, she's probably going to take the cake for me. You think that's going to be the I best one? I think that might be the best one because I like her. Hers okay. is, she's a really good artist. Music is amazing. I don't know. She's probably going to bring other people out. But uh, for sure, I'm just going to see if that it is. Uh, well, who's the champion in the locker room right now before you see her? Because you, you told me your first. What was your best, though, that you've seen? Man, the best probably. That's tough because only been only been a couple of them. I've been yeah. to a lot. So I mean, besides that, Twenty One Savage concert. I mean, like I said, at that time at that time I was a huge fan of those two. So, so that was it. That was it. For your me. first was your that best. That was my first. That's was the best. hey, that's first a logical time. one, man. I feel like I've seen more though. I feel like I've seen more people live before, and it's just not coming to me right now. Right. Yeah, for sure. Now this guy, if you didn't know it. You advanced pretty darn far singing yeah. competition back in the day. I actually did. About 10 years ago, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yep. so we've, we've covered that before. Normally, I, all, I, I often ask, uh, you know, hey, what's in your, what are you listening to these yeah. days? Instead of that, what are you singing these days? Are you singing anything? Yeah, like, like I said, R&B, I think that's kind of why I kind of like it so much. It's because, I, I, like I said, I like to sing. Um, singing is kind of like my release of, you know, energy mm-hmm. that I have. Um, I, I've been doing it since my mom. She pretty much introduced me. And my sister, she sings as well. Mm-hmm. We've been just singing since we've been coming up. And then anything that come to mind, we just sing it. I mean, it's kind of like just our relaxation you know, around the house. We just pop a tune real quick. Um, yeah. And I think that's what kind of made me better at it. Um, yeah, and I love singing. Like, the competition, that was one of the first things where I actually kind of had to take singing seriously. And I kind of understood what it actually embodies being a singer. I mean, this they, they have workouts that I've never even knew sure. singers actually work out like that. You know, um, I'm doing sit-ups, singing in my highest note. And then I never <laughs> like, what am I doing? But at the same time, it, it's, it's very challenging. So I think overall, once I've seen that, I have a high amount of respect for performers. Um, obviously, a lot all the artists. But to perform and sing at a high level and, you know, dance and all that, that's that's tough. So I hats off to them, and I think that's why I ended up choosing the football route because I understood how much time sure. it was going to take for me and dedicate my time to actually perfecting this craft. That's interesting. So did you just initially belt out a tune and <laughs> that moved you on and you're like, okay, I, I got to start doing a little bit more to, to get better? Is that how that worked, basically? Kind, or? kind of. I mean, my mom, like I said, we st- I grew up in the church, so mm-hmm. my mom, she kind of got us into the church really early. I was singing in there, obviously, just a couple times, and then just around the house, you know, me singing and picking up songs, it's just like, you need to go ahead and lead one of these songs. And mm-hmm. I, and my first time was leading a song, I think I was probably about 10 or 11. I was nervous as ever. I mean, I'm just sitting there shaking, obviously, before the song comes on, but then happens, and I just had to go bust out a tune, and then it really? actually turned out pretty good. After that, I mean, I ended up going to that competition and I ended up getting with a voice coach, understanding how to how to hold your tunes, how to where to sing from, breathing from your diaphragm, and understanding how everything works when it comes to singing. And that obviously took course in, in high school as well, mm-hmm. all the way up until I think my junior sophomore junior year. But yeah, I loved it. I mean, that that's something that is always going to be near and dear to me, always. What's a tune or the start of a tune or the bar oh, of a tune that's stuck in your head today? Today, what uh, you been singing today? Anything when you're driving in or walking? I, I honestly. I was listening to some Shaka Khan earlier. Okay. And let's hear it. It was like that ain't nobody song. It's like she's singing that honey. Ain't nobody. I'm like, okay. I'm saying like, okay. And I just kept I don't know who was playing it, but I was just like, who listened to that today? So it, it kinda it kinda caught me off guard. But anytime I hear that, like I said, my mom, I'm an old soul. I mean, she picked me up from school all the time. I mean, uh-huh. she was playing old school jams, you know, Heather Haley. I mean, a lot of people just these uh and all these people just they just Donny Hathaway. They just listen they just listen to him and and it kind of falls in line uh-huh. and just it makes you love the, 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 the soul sound and the true appreciation of music, of R&B and where it's, how it's transformed from then and now. So she's always kept us in the, in the loop of that stuff, and it kind of just resonated with us. Your favorite exercise in the weight room and your least favorite exercise <laughs> in the weight room, what are they? All right, so I will definitely say my favorite 
bench is definitely my, my favorite, obviously. For the first time in six of these since the season started, someone did not say squats. Yeah, You're the yeah. first guy that did not say they squats. Love squats. Everyone else, defense, yeah. offense, quarterbacks, <laughs> everybody has said squats, not you. Nah, nah I, I never was a, a big squat guy coming up because I was smaller and then I had a lot of injuries coming up too, so I wasn't able to squat. Okay. Lot. So obviously my the atrophy of the, the my legs and stuff like that, I just couldn't get to certain <laughs> numbers of everybody going in there lifting 500. Nah, I've never been that guy. Bench, me never really having much injuries besides my wrist and stuff. Never really had issues with benching, so okay. I always kind of like uh, it's the straight I, flat bench. Huh? I didn't, I didn't lift, I didn't lift like that in high school. But when I was able to eclipse a two twenty five mark, I said, okay, I like benching. All right, uh, my least favorite abs any day, any abs. but I would, but I always, but I always get to it. I mean, I, I have, we have that love hate relationship to where I'm so frustrated with doing it, actually helps me get through sure. it. Sure, so, and you um, know, it's you know how important it's it is. Beneficial. It's beneficial. You got to yeah. do it. Nobody you get likes that it. going, and everything else kind of falls exactly. in line, huh? Exactly. Okay, what's the greatest invention ever? Greatest invention? Because I was about, I was this close about to say cell phone, but I was like, you know what? There's a lot more things. The light bulb. I'm going with that instantly. Uh, I, I also would say cotton, but. At the end of the day, we can live we can live without that. But I mean, you can't see. I mean, if it's nighttime, you can't see without a light bulb. So uh, I would definitely say the light bulb or cotton. That's definitely take, okay. Taking that. Fair enough. So. And final thing, what's going to be for Halloween? Oh man! So we, me and my girl, we actually about to get some uh, costumes like seventies. Pretty much, I'm gonna have the old school <laughs> disco, you know, afro. I'm doing the whole nine. I, I, I want to actually go all out for this this Halloween this time because I just I kind of put it on the side a little bit last year, you know, just trying to get the feel for the league. You know, obviously with with COVID and stuff sure. like that, we couldn't really do too much. Obviously, we we dress up a little bit with me and my uh, my girl, and my dog. But other than that, I mean, I want to I want to go all out with this one. I That'll be fun, out, yeah. you know. And if you need any help on on the hair part, you could consult David Cully. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Did you see? You've seen the picture from uh, the seventies. Right? I have, man. Cully need to go ahead and, and hook a brother up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, we really do appreciate the time. This has been a Drew's Dozen. Always. It's always cool talking with this guy, always. Jonathan Grenard. For sure, for sure. Appreciate y'all having me. That, is, that dude is the best. I lay claim to having the very first interview with him back at the Senior Bowl before we even knew he was going to be a Texan. But he is a fantastic guy, fantastic player. I think Sunday marked sort of hopefully the arrival. Like this, this is when John Grenard – turns into that guy that we see every single week. Man, if we see the guy that we saw against the Patriots this week against the Colts and that continues to stack and stack and stack, we're going to end up having one of the better edge players uh, in the AFC South at a minimum. So looking forward to seeing what JG does on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. Now, what are the keys to a win over the Indianapolis Colts? Well, I'm going to tell you next right here on Texans All Access. All Access. Access. All. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access. And I know we've got a lot of fans out there today, but I got to give some props to today's biggest fan, Dykin. These guys are doing big things in Houston, from comfort and convenience to air quality. Dykin's innovations are changing how people enjoy the indoors as they lead the way to a more sustainable future. Reducing our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050. As the world's number one air conditioning company, Daikin is committed to perfecting the air that connects us all. Learn more at perfectingtheair.com. It's our good friends at Daikin. All right, welcome back to the show, and it's time for my keys to the game against Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. So cue up my music and let's rock. We're going to start with the Texans' defense against this Colts offense. It's an offense that's averaging 114 yards on the ground. 
That's 14th in the NFL. 249 yards through the air. That's per game. That's 15th. 363.4 yards per game. That's 17th in the league. So nothing great, nothing horrible. But Carson Wentz is starting to hit his stride, and that is the very first key. Last week against Baltimore, the Ravens could not, did not, shall not, should not, could not, can't, whatever word you want to use with the word not, made the picture cloudy for Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz did what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted. He didn't really have much pressure. I think he got sacked twice. It was for a total of five yards. They didn't pressure Wentz at all. And it's not even so much about the pressure. It's about making the picture cloudy to make him pull the ball down like, whoa, what did I just see? One time, two times, a couple of times of doing that. Maybe it starts to pull on his confidence. But right now, Wentz is full-on confident, and that's a scary, scary thing. Number two, Taylor Tool Time. That means Jonathan Taylor. This guy has gone from being a nice complimentary piece to Marlon Mack or Naeem Hines to being the focal point of the offense. With 4-3-8 speed, he can take it to the house when he gets a step, and the Texans can't afford to give him a step. He's 230 pounds at 4-3-8 speed. He's a monster. And he runs behind that offensive line. They do a great job of getting him seams. The Texans have to take those away and then tackle him. Yeah, I know it sounds simple, but they've got to tackle that man repeatedly. And that is not easy. When he did not have success in college, it was because defenses did a great job taking away his runway. If he gets downhill on you, forget it. There are going to be some guys having to make business decisions, and that's not good. Shut down the gaps, make him stop his feet at the line of scrimmage, and then gang tackle him all day. Number three, T.Y. Hilton. Will he or won't he? We'll see on Sunday. Number four, this Colts offensive line is about as banged up as the Texans is. There's no Anthony Costanzo. He retired, so it's Eric Fisher still recovering from an Achilles injury in 2020. You've got Chris Reed, a guy really nobody's heard of, but does a really nice job at left guard, but he's not Quentin Nelson. Ryan Kelly's one of the best centers in the game. He's still there. Right guard Mark Glowinski is a grinder. And right tackle is not Braden Smith this week. It's going to be former Texan Julian Davenport, who back four years ago was, I should say three years ago, struggled mightily at left tackle. Now he's at right tackle. He's played well, but it's not Braden Smith. This offensive line for the Colts has had its better days, and the defensive front for the Texans has got to take advantage of it more so than they did last week against the New England Patriots. The Patriots did a great job with their play-action game to draw linebackers in and throw over the top, which gave Mac Jones the opportunity to get rid of the ball quickly and that offensive line to not have to protect for a while. The Texans have got to win on first and second down to put third down in long situations in the play that Carson Wentz with an offensive line that's banged up. If they don't get the third and long, it's going to be a nightmare of a day. If they get the third and long, there's going to be an opportunity to make things cloudy for Wentz and really frustrate this offensive line. That's where you want to be. And last and certainly not least, I call this key Heinz 57. And the reason I call it that is, A, it's a dad joke because of Heinz 57 sauce, but also because it feels like there are about 57 different ways that Naeem Hines hurts you. Screens, 
kickoff returns, punt returns, handoffs, long tosses, uh, whatever, you know, throwing the ball through him out of the back. But this guy has found ways to hurt the Texans over the years, and it drives me insane. Naeem Hines is a major problem, and he's a major problem in a number of different ways. The Texans have to find ways to limit his production, which isn't going to be easy. But I think he is a major problem for this Texans defense going forward. All right, let's flip it over to the Texans offense. Facing a defense that is 14th in the NFL, giving up 108 yards on the ground. They're 20th in the NFL, giving up 261 yards per game through the air. And they're 18th, allowing 369.2 yards per game. Those numbers were all inflated this week because of what Lamar Jackson did to him. Now, can Davis Mills do the same thing? Oh, God, I hope so. But it's going to be difficult because, well, let's just it's going to be difficult to throw for 440 yards against a defense that is thought to be pretty good. It hasn't played extremely well, but it is a pretty good unit. So what do the Texans got to do? Number one, they got to buck the trend. They got to find a way to block the Forrest Buckner up front. This guy's a major problem, huge problem, figuratively and literally. He is massive. And he creates a lot of problems inside because of his length. Now, he hasn't been as much of an issue this year. But last year in the two matchups, he had five sacks, seven QB hits, and four TFLs in two games. He really hasn't gotten that production this year through five games. The Texans have got to keep him in that, uh, in that rut, if you will, to have success. Number two, the pass rush for the Colts will get a boost this week with Quiddy Pay coming back and being close to full health, as close as he's going to be. And they need it because Kamiko Toure is hurt. Justin Houston is playing for the Baltimore Ravens. And it's not quite the same as what the Colts have had in the past. The Texans' offense has got to take advantage of that. If they're not going to get pressure like they did on Lamar and they don't get pressure on Davis Mills, then Davis is going to be able to deal, hopefully, and throw to receivers that make plays after the catch. Number three, Darius Leonard, I think, is one of the better linebackers in the league, but not because of the way that he goes and finds and tackles the football. But it's the fact that he goes and gets the football. Throughout his three-plus-year career, he has 10 forced fumbles, seven fumble recoveries, and eight interceptions. In six regular season games against the Texans, he's had an interception and three forced fumbles. He gets the football. He pulls it out. He knocks it out. He intercepts it. 53, you have to account for in those ways. Number four, the secondary could be a mass unit. Rocky Scene could be back. Kari Willis has been banged up. But I think he's ready to go. Andrew Sandejo is out. Xavier Rhodes is questionable. And Lamar Jackson shredded him for 442 yards. Davis Mills going against a fully healthy secondary last week threw for 312 yards against the Patriots. I'm hoping that he gets closer to the Lamar number this week against that Colts secondary. And speaking of Mills, last and certainly not least, comfortability part four. The more comfortable that Davis gets, the earlier, the better he is. You saw last week against the Patriots. He got comfortable early, long first drive, and away you go. Get him comfortable early, and then it's time to rock. All right, we get back. It's a little Chris Conley with DP Sidhu. This is fantastic. It was so good we split up into two parts. Part one is next right here on Texans All Access. I'm calling all of my Houston area teachers out there. You want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom? I know you do. Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Conoco Phillips. Toro's Math Drills, a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn 
more. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access. Glad you're here with me, and we are hanging together. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and it's time for our deep slant interview of the week. Now, this was so glorious that we got the opportunity to break it into two different segments. DP Sidhu sat down with Chris Conley, and when I heard she was interviewing Chris, I thought about this. I thought, man, I might be able to get a whole show. Well, I'm going to get a couple segments, and that's good enough. But Chris Conley is absolutely fabulous on the mic, and so is DP Sidhu. So they sat down and chopped it up about pretty much everything. This is fantastic stuff. Let's hear from DP and wide receiver Chris Conley. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest today, wide receiver Chris Conley. Chris had a big week. Not only did you score your first touchdown as a Houston Texan, you became a dad. So congratulations on both fronts. Thank you so much. Uh, Yeah, it was a lot going on last week. (laughs) But um, thankfully, uh, everybody here in the building helped me with that, uh, with the whole process and, and even preparing for a game through that while being back and forth from the hospital got a good group of guys here uh, and a good staff and was able to get ready for that game didn't quite have the outcome that we wanted but uh I'm excited for for the future of what this team could do yeah we're excited to see you as well we saw a lot of you in camp and then you know throughout these last few games it seems like you were getting closer and closer and then you finally get that that big touchdown call the, the flea flicker mm-hmm. have you ever had a flea flicker touchdown before or was that your first um, I think that might be my first. I've had a couple that could have been called. For some reason, a flea flicker is a really hard play to pull off. Uh, there's a lot of things that have to happen. Uh, there's a timing that everybody on the offense has to be on, and it, and you can't really see the other people when they're deciding, okay, it's time to turn it back into a pass play. And for some reason, you know, the way that we practiced it and the way that we executed it, it kind of ended up being that perfect timing, that perfect balance. We were able to make that play work. It seems like that would be, from a receiver's point of view, that that would be a stressful, to be on, that'd be a little bit more stressful than just, say, a normal touchdown. Because you're like a you're saying, bit. there's a lot of things that have to happen just right. I think that, you know, on any play where a receiver, you know, catches the ball or scores a touchdown, there's a lot of things that have to happen. The protection has to hold up. The quarterback has to... Uh, see you and deliver a good ball, you have to run a good route. So there's a lot of things that go on, on on every play. But, yes, a flea flicker, even it compounds that even more. But the fact that we were able to pull that one off, especially with us putting that in uh, in such a short amount of time, was is, is good for the, the guys that we have in that, that offensive room. What about for you personally? What's the craziest touchdown you've ever been a part of at any level? The craziest touchdown that I've been a part of, Oh, this is such a bad answer, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, my first playoff touchdown was actually here, 2015. That is a bet. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I was uh-huh. in, uh, <laughs> in 2015, I was playing for the Chiefs at the time. Uh, Remember that and, game? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, I think it was maybe the third quarter of that game, I was put in the game on a play that I didn't rep all week, a play that I was told wasn't mine. It was for somebody else, and that guy couldn't run it, I guess, at the time. And so I ran a play that I hadn't practiced or, you know, had no experience with and caught the ball. And I just remember just the the sounds and the lights and everything. Playoff football is something that's uh, uniquely special. And uh, I'll I'll always remember that moment. Well, that brings up an interesting question, because with the with the touchdown that you did catch, was that a play that you had that was in practice for several weeks or did it just sort of pop up that week? Had you been waiting for that play to be called or 
Is that just something that during that week you sort of knew that that was going to be the week that that, uh, that was a that was a week that was a play that was put in uh, last week. That was a play that was put in specifically for that game. Now there are plays that you have drawn up sometimes and you don't get to them on the call sheet, and those will carry over from week to week until they get called. But then you also have some plays that are kind of drawn up in the dirt as the week goes on and say, hey, this would be a good play. You got to get everyone on the same page. You don't have that many times to rep. Some plays you don't even rep. You know, there could be uh, – I've seen trick plays before that you didn't even get to rep in practice, but you just called them and they worked. And so it's it's being on the same page with the guys that you're playing with, having a good feel and sense for how you're trying to affect the defense uh, and then getting the ball in the right person's hands. All right, so one of the first things that I learned about you when you signed with the Texans, I, went, I, I write the series called Get to Know. And just in a very cursory search of you – uh, saw your film Retribution, the um, the Star Wars fan film that you made at Georgia. Mm-hmm. So I learned very quickly that you're a big Star Wars buff. So yeah. I watched it. It's 26 minutes. It's it feels like a short feature film. It's pretty intense. You've got stormtroopers. You've got battle scenes. You've got special effects. You've got cameos. You've got extras. How long did something like that take for you to put together? You wrote it, too directed long. it, and starred in it, right? Too long. It took me too long. I I think that the whole the idea gathering process for that probably took me a month and a half. Um, at that point, I didn't know anything about writing scripts, and so it was really just an outline of what I wanted to happen. Then after that, it was more of like the idea of, okay, I wanted to have these sort of choreographed fights that were in it. And so then that took finding the people who would be involved in that. It took me another month, and choreographing and practicing those fights took another month. And then putting together, gathering these groups of people uh, and finding the people who had the knowledge that I didn't have at the time to make something like that happen. So all in all, that process probably took six to eight months. And uh, I learned a lot from it. You know, they'd say if you don't look back at your earlier films and cringe, then you didn't you didn't do it right. But I, I that's like the number one thing that people, when they talk about my love for like te- storytelling or filmmaking, that's the f- number one thing that they bring up because obviously that was my first one and it's also it kind of went viral back then. But I just oh, it makes me cringe. What makes you things. cringe about? I thought it was I thought that was for a college student to put something like that together. I expected far less to be honest because it was a college production, but it seemed pretty high quality. It's it, I mean I don't know how much money you had and how much time you had to do it, but what None. makes you cringe about it? None really, but it's the fact that what I know now about storytelling and being efficient with the time that you have a viewer obviously it's 26 minutes long i didn't know anything about what a short film is you want to keep a short film under 15 minutes <laughs> it's not a short uh, film that's why i call not. it a mini i call it a mini feature <laughs> oh yeah it's definitely i've i crossed the line <laughs> i crossed the line big time but there were so many ideas that i had that i i put all of my ideas into the film and one of the things that you learn as you mature as a writer and as a creator and um uh, there's a saying and they say it's like killing your little babies and it's like all the little all the little things that you love, all the little ideas that you think are so cool when it comes to a project, you have to learn how to get rid of them. You have to learn how to cut them out. You have to cut all the excess and the fat off the bone and really just leave the meat there and get to the point and grab, it, grab a viewer's attention, keep that attention, convey and tell a, short, a story in as short a time as possible, and then get out. And so that's that's really what... Uh, good filmmaking is good filmmaking can tell great filmmaking can tell so many storylines in a short amount of time in a concise amount of space 
And uh, that's really what I've been working on and learning. And when I watch that, it's just it's just idea vomit, and it's just all over the <laughs> Maybe place. Maybe you needed an editor. You needed someone with you know an objective point of view to I come had in an and editor. edit. I had an editor. I didn't edit that video at that oh, point. Okay. At that your point, editor loved all your babies uh, too. I, I take oh, it. Just yeah. Put everything in there. At that point, I didn't know how to operate a camera myself. At that point, I didn't know how to. I could use basic editing software. I didn't know anything about tempo or anything like that. So. Editing and color grading weren't something that I did. So I had other people doing all of that. And when I saw things at the end, I just had, you know, some basic, oh, well, I don't really like how long this is or how long. But it wasn't really in depth. Now when I when I do a film, I'd either like to get sent every single draft that comes from an editor or I'd like to be in the room with them as they're editing. Mm. And because really your vision has to be. It has to be as close to that original vision that you wrote as possible. And then also, like, you have to be the person to, when it comes down to it, is willing to to cut things short and say, hey, we're going over here. Hey, we're lingering too long on this moment. Or in the rare chance that there is an artistic moment that really happens, that shines through on set, let it breathe a little bit. And I feel like that is something that, as a director, for your vision, you have to be there to say. Because an editor might have a completely different sense of what's going on uh, on the screen. And, and a small edit can completely change the tone of a, a piece. These feel like nuanced. These feel like very small, nuanced things that you just gather over time. But it sounds to me like you want to direct again, want to make another movie again sometime in the future. Yeah. Is that what you're th- you think yeah. that you might do it again? I, I've, I've made – I've done something – uh, creative every off season uh, that I've been in the league, whether that's shooting a short film, producing like the miniseries that we did here with the comment and cravings. I've done something. I've probably shot at this point. I think I've shot five or six short films since Retribution, and every single time trying to tackle another uh, hurdle in the filmmaking world. There's a lot of problems that arise when you're trying to tell a story. There's so many things that come up, and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of do's and don'ts. And I like to try to tackle the don'ts so that I can understand why it's a don't. And uh, so I know, you know, if there comes a a time where I need to use that technique or need to be in this situation, I've done it before and I can tackle it. You know, things like show, don't tell. I've done like entire short films that have no audio. Uh, I've done a short film where I had no crew, where I did it as a running gun, one man. I set the camera. I pulled the focus. I was in it. I edited it. I colored it. I, I did everything. I've done short film where I used anamorphics, big, heavy, expensive lenses that add to your, you know, your time on set and the preparation. And I, I've, I've tried to really like push myself to learn more about even roles that I might not be uh, in, in charge of on set. You know, on a lot of my larger proje- projects, I'm just directing. I'm just the writer-director. I don't have to pull focus. I don't have to. I'm not the gaffer. I don't have to light things. Mm-hmm. But I, I did all of that just so that I would have a greater knowledge base for the next time that I'm on set so I can be maybe a little more technical when I'm talking to my crew. I can be a little more sensitive when I'm talking to my actors uh, and coaching them through a scene and trying to get their best performance. As the dad of an actress... Uh, for those of you who don't know, my daughter is out in L.A. trying to carve out a career in acting. And it's been really cool to kind of hear the things she gets to do and all the kind of you know acting fun that she has. And listening to Chris talk about it is really, really interesting. In fact, we'll talk more about that next as we continue with Chris Conley and D.P. Sidhu 
And there's a former All-Pro running back who actually was also involved with Chris's movie production. I'll tell you who that is next, right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. We got one out of the books on this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter. So glad to be with you on this TGIF edition of Texans All Access. And when we left you, DP City was chatting up Chris Conley about a movie that he put together back when he was at Georgia. And it is Star Wars oriented. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, in this particular interview with DP and Chris. And in such a good way. There was also an all-pro running back who was involved in this movie. And if you guessed Todd Gurley, you're absolutely correct. Here's DP and Chris. I feel like, well, I, I, when I was watching Retribution, you had uh, Todd Gurley. He had a cameo, and you had your coach in there. And it only it makes me wonder if you did a film now, a Star Wars sort of a film, with your current Texans teammates, who would you cast, and in what role would you cast them? I feel like yeah. you got some potential there in the locker room. There's a lot of potential. There's there's tons. I I I don't think I would do it again per se, but I'll because for for the reason for that hypothetical purposes, everyone says yeah. that they want to be in a film until they realize what the call time is. You know, obviously <laughs> Retribution was my first project. I was in college. I had nothing else to do. I could literally be out on campus shooting all day and not eat and it'd be fine. And and college students had no problem with that now but now when you have like actual crews you have limits you got you got salaries you got you know this and there's rules so that's the reason call times are so early so sure, everybody goes yeah. oh i want to be i want to be in your next film and you tell them okay the call time for extras is 4 30 or 5 a.m <laughs> and none of them show up uh, and you're not getting paid either because exactly. it's a low budget you're not getting you're not getting paid i have to pay there's certain people i have to pay that have to be there uh you're not getting paid but um uh who would i cast yeah, let's just say let's just say that they're all going they're all really willing to just show up at four in the morning for call time. You don't have to pay them. They're gonna happily do it. Who would who would you cast? Who would be your your leading protagonist, uh leading villain, your extras? How would you Star Wars characters? Let's, villain? Let's, Ooh, let's, let's put your good, let's put your teammates in Star I'm going, Wars characters. I'm going Sith Lord is uh the Sith Lord is definitely Tyrod. Not because he's a bad guy, <laughs> but because he just has the hair for it. Right? I was going to say his he personality. Has, he has very, very dramatic. Oh, okay. I, I call him Frederick Douglass all the time. Because <laughs> when he takes out his braids, he's got the Frederick, it, yeah. the Frederick Douglass do going on. And I can just, I can already see what I would want makeup to do with his eyebrows and his, you know, his beard and stuff. I can make Tyrod look like a, a menace. Okay. Uh, and so I would definitely have him as, you know, like the old Sith Lord pulling the strings and things like that. If I had to find uh I, I think my, my comedic relief would definitely be Mark Ingram. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent would be yeah. Mark Ingram. I don't know what I would do with Mark. I, I might just for comedic relief, I might make Mark a Jawa or Mark <laughs> uh, an Ewok just because he's hilarious. The fact that people would know that's Mark Ingram under there would just make it even, it would more, be even it super would make funny. It even yeah. more funny. I guess uh, you know I could do. Uh, man, this is there's there's so many there's so many so many options uh, and things that you could do. You you need your you need your gunslinger your your young gun. Uh, you know we could put we could make uh, Han Solo it could be Davis. Davis could be the Han Solo oh, okay. type character. I, he doesn't talk enough for that though. <laughs> 
So you you got to know the personalities of guys. Davis was, doesn't, yeah, yeah. Davis he, doesn't talk a lot. He's not the smooth the smooth talker. We'll go. We'll, <laughs> we could go uh, Justin Reed for, for that. Han Solo. Yeah, we can do. Oh, Justin we're just swapping Reed. him out. Yeah, Justin Reed for yeah, Han we'll Solo. Yeah, we'll swap him out. He's got to be the silent the silent type. Yeah. Pharaoh, Pharaoh could be uh, Chewbacca because they're the same size, <laughs> uh, technically. <laughs> um, yeah, so I big. mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot what of. What about Luke? Ways you that we could go with Luke. that. Uh, Luke Skywalker, man, that's tough. Luke, Darth Vader, you've got some. That some... is tough. I mean, I so I am one hundred percent a fan of originality. If you're going to make even a fan film of an established IP such as Star Wars, you shouldn't use established characters. The universe is so big that you do it a disservice by recasting an icon instead of telling a new story. Oh, okay. Uh, of someone you else. You just create new stories. Create new stories, create new characters. That's what I'm hoping that they're going to do with the, you know, the company that actually owns the IP because there's, there's so many th- great things that could happen. Uh, and I think the best way to respect it and to respect Star Wars fans is to tell new stories. And I think that, you know, what, what you've seen from these Disney Plus shows, you know, The Mandalorian and things have really, really shown that. And that's my, that's my serious Star Wars fan talking there. Well, okay, so I have a serious Star Wars question for you. So when you go, for people that haven't watched any of it, there's always this discussion of what's, what order? what's the order. Do you watch it in, I mean, I have my opinion on it. I'm sure you have yours. You watch it in chronological order? As in how it, the series of events actually happen, or do you watch it in the order of release? Do you watch all the movies first and then watch the shows, or do you intersperse the TV shows into the movies into some sort of timeline there? So I'll put it this way. The shows always need to come after the movies because the Agreed. shows can introduce things and concepts that you don't understand at all. Now, the only exception to that is The Mandalorian. It can kind of stand alone on its own. It is a space western it is mm-hmm. a gunslinger show so you can watch it all on its own and know nothing about star Wars right that's because true. you're just watching a western but all the other tv shows you need to have a little bit of context with those context with those now when it comes to the films i always break it down this way if you are a person who appreciates the art uh, and the history of the film industry i'd say watch them in the order that they came out because each of the movies were absolutely groundbreaking and revolutionary for their time. When it came yeah. to VFX, when it came to storytelling, everything, the the visuals, the music, it was all it was all so ahead of its time, uh, and and it connected with a whole generation. So if you appreciate the art of film, 100%, watch them in the order that they were made, and you'll learn a lot about where certain techniques came from. You'll learn a lot about where other influences in sci-fi and action and drama, where they were gleaned from Star Wars, which gleaned from Dune. (laughs) uh, Okay, side note. Well, I I agree with you because I I think that there's certain surprises that when the movies came out, the fans were shocked and surprised. And I think if you watch it, out of order, you won't have that same reaction that some of us had when we watched the first This is the around. only caveat, though. If you're not someone who respects the art and the history of film, I would say watch them in the order that they happened, which is watching the, like uh, episode the prequels, one, and then, yeah. one, two, three, because I feel like some people don't give it the time to get into the story. If they're watching an old movie and they don't appreciate old movies for what they are, they go, why am I watching this? Like, it's I don't like, even understand <laughs> what's happening. Get to the action. And really, those movies weren't about the action. They did have groundbreaking action. They did have 
uh, Industrial Light Magic did have these groundbreaking, you know, VFX scenes and all of these things. But, like, it wasn't about that. It was about the story. It was about the, the characters and their development. And so if you don't appreciate that, definitely watch the new ones because they will grab you with the action. Mm-hmm. And you will be able to glean a little bit from the story, and maybe after watching those three, then you'll be interested enough to say, "Okay, well, let's watch see these what old happens. movies too. Let's see what happens after that, <laughs> you know." And then they'll stay, they'll stay connected. But really, like the getting into the Star Wars fandom for a lot of people is about being at the impressionable age where those movies could take you somewhere far from here, and you can learn things about morality, you can learn things about the struggle between good and evil. You can learn things about being enough in a world that sometimes doesn't think that or from the outside will say that you're not, you know, and that that right there connects with a lot of people. That's, that's deep stuff, Chris. That's really deep. Such a fandom around it. All right. You all you've always been into sci fi and science. And I read somewhere that you when you were in third grade won a science comp, science fair competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember what your project was? Yeah. So uh, it was for a science fair. And I was one of the kids who really hated science fairs because really? I didn't I didn't want to spend a week of my life preparing, you know, they had those cardboard fold out yeah, yeah, yeah. things. I didn't want to go home. That's a presentation. It's make, not a project. And yeah. do something, make a presentation about something that a hundred kids before me had done. And so I was looking for any loophole that I could find not to make a presentation about something that everyone already knew about. Okay. Uh, And one of the loopholes I found was in the fine print, it said, or an invention. You know, it so was, you invented it was about, something. It was about, yeah, it was about a, a process or, and it said, or invention. They really didn't want you doing inventions. Most I, people <laughs> were making, you know, volcanoes or talking about photosynthesis, right, right, right. photosynthesis <laughs> and stuff. Uh, but I basically took the part where it said an invention and I looked for a problem in our world to solve it. And that was at the time where Razor scooters were the biggest thing. That doesn't seem that long ago. Okay, you were in third grade when that happened. Everyone okay. was riding Razor scooters. Yeah. Those metal scooters that when they hit you in the shin, you got a big knot and right. it hurt. Yeah, everybody was riding those. And I noticed that everyone in my cul-de-sac, all the kids had them. Every, even if they had like you know the off-brand, the cheap ones, everybody had a scooter. And that was just the mode of transportation. Oh, I'm going to Jimmy's house. I'm taking my, my scooter. scooter. And they uh-huh. could literally walk across the lawn to Jimmy's house. Yeah. But they rode the scooter. But when they would get there, they would just drop the scooter on the ground and go into his That's garage right. or something. So there were scooters all over the lawns. And I was like, you know what? They need scooter racks just like they have bike racks. Oh. And so I made – it was a really primitive – you know, obviously, I'm, I was no carpenter or builder. Uh-huh. I made a primitive scooter rack that you could slide your scooter in, you know, with your handlebars, and it would just go in here, and it would stay upright. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say you invented a kickstand for the scooter, but that's even no. better. So uh, a scooter it, yeah. stand. So, so that won you the science fair. It, w- it wasn't a science fair that I won. It actually was submitted by one of the teachers at my school to the National Young Inventors Program. Oh. They have a competition every year where they take inventions across the country, and they basically try to identify young innovators and basically support them, give them an opportunity to continue to develop their idea, and basically inc- they get a small scholarship and basically say, hey, don't stop inventing. This is how you know our That's country yeah. basically moves industries forward. So I won that. It was the Craftsman NSTA 
Young Inventors Program, and I was one of eight finalists. This makes so much more sense because I read the prize, which was very, a very random assortment of things to me because mm-hmm. I thought it was a science fair. It was a $5,000 savings bond, mm-hmm. a trip to the Nationals to Chicago with your family, yep. and then a visit with Bob Vila. Yeah. Of this old house, which I think as a third grader, did you Bob, know who Bob Vila was? I knew Bob right? Vila because Bob Vila was in all the Craftsman commercials back uh, then. Oh, yeah. Every single Craftsman tool commercial and building were, this and that. So that's I knew who Bob Vila was. Were you was super really cool. excited to meet? But do you remember meeting Bob I Vila? I was, but I remember thinking like, man, my idea is okay. I'm not really sure what these other kids were. And boy, was I right. When I got there, these oh, other really? kids' inventions, like... <laughs> <laughs> I told you I made like this little primitive. It was like a little block of wood, and I had these like angled, you know, pieces of metal that were drilled into it so that you, it was just wide enough for a scooter. And it was like, oh, like that's cute. And I'm watching like these other kids. This one kid like invented like a way to like a machine to automatically. I think it was like to water crops or something like that. Oh, and I'm like, wow, you're the same age as me. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm in a room full of savants, and I just was like, but they're oh, they're wood. not going to be razor scooters on your cul-de-sac anymore. So that was a huge problem at the time. Yeah, you well, you know, the scooters aren't as big of a thing anymore. <laughs> but I still do see, you know, these these bird and and lime scooters all over the ground. They are everywhere. You know, they could have installed scooter racks all the way back then. We could still be using them. All right. So, are you into Squid Game? You know, I watched the first episode was it first episode or first two episodes last week mm-hmm. and i am intrigued now the problem with that is is i want to binge watch it but no which is what that, i've heard people knowing generally that do. i watched the first episode with my wife and she just had a kid <laughs> it's not really timing up with the ability to binge watch it and i know she's going to be upset if i watch it oh you can't watch it so without i can't her. watch okay. it anymore yeah. because i started it with if i would have started it without her i'd be already done Right now, so you're a but fan. I take. I, it. I am. You love am. it. Okay. Yeah, I am. I, I I think it's I think it's great. I think some people don't like watching foreign shows and films, and they don't like subtitles, and they don't like. Well, I I didn't think that was the. Stuff. I thought the issue with Squid Game wasn't so much the subtitles as it was the gore, from what I understand, just from oh, what well, I've I mean, heard about it. I I don't mind it. You don't mind the gore. <laughs> I don't mind it. The, the premise is intri- Like for people that don't know, it's it's basically a childhood game that. You play, and if you if you fail, if you fail, you, you die. die. It's yeah. pretty easy. So what 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 would be your Squid Game of choice? What would be your game of a childhood game of choice? I don't know. I haven't watched the whole. I haven't watched the whole first season yet, so I don't really. But have... do you have a game from your childhood that you think that you would bet on yourself that you would win that game? I mean, I I think that the whole idea of childhood games is just, and I think this is where the show really succeeds: is the whole idea of. The fact that when you when you played childhood games as a kid, you didn't really fear anything. You know, when you were a kid, you thought you were invincible. Mm-hmm. You jumped off the jungle gym, you know, playing the floor is lava. You know, you you would climb across the highest part because the floor was lava. But you were literally fearless and, and really playing with the idea of something that we relate to in such a in such a area of comfort and then flipping it on its head and making it dangerous. I think that's one of the psychological bits of that show that just makes it so intriguing to everyone. But I, I feel like if I had to pick, oh, that's scary. <laughs> I love I loved playing dodgeball. Oh. But I feel like if you're playing squid game dodgeball, you're going to die. <laughs> well, you're a professional football player, so you do have a, a leg up on your competition. Now. You know, I'm, I'm, in my mind, when I think about playing dodgeball, I'm thinking about playing with dodgeball with other people like me. 
and that's that's a tough game oh. dodgeball. I'm not thinking about playing yeah. with the no, people I, I played I, with. I, I'm pretty sure that you're representing when old I was society. in third grade. Yeah, if or I'm, normal if society. I'm playing under. dodgeball. <laughs> you're also with, a wide receiver, so with Ugh. ten other me's. No, yeah, of course. I, that is not a bet I want to take. No, or if I'm be. playing dodgeball and Squid Game with the guys in this locker room, and it's not just the <laughs> linemen, I'm not taking that bet. Yeah, they just, just people are too well, athletic at this point. That that makes sense to me. I, I'm thinking in society, you'd probably you'd probably do pretty well with Squid Game dodgeball. Uh, if I had to guess. Hey, when when your life's on the line, you never your know life's what people on the line, will you'll do. do it. All right, Chris. Well, you, you mentioned the baby, so I have to ask you, uh, what's surprised you most? I know it's early on, but anything really stand out to you or surprised you about being a dad so far? I think I would say the fact that she's very attentive. She's very like I get I get the best I tell people I get the best parts of the baby because when I come home she's just awake, <laughs> eyes open, uh, not crying, not screaming, nothing. She just wants to sit there and hang out. But I have help, you know. My my sister was here, my mother in law was here, and they uh, have been watching the baby during the night. So I've been able to sleep at night and you know do my recovery and get ready for practice. But um, I, I definitely was not expecting her to, like, have such a, like, 180 change. You know, she goes from being, like, so cool, calm, and everything's fine with dad. Uh-huh. And then I, you know, get downstairs in the morning as I'm leaving. And it's like, hey, how'd you sleep? And it's like, she didn't. Oh, <laughs> it's like, you know, like, really? Like, I, I've never seen her do that. She, she just seems really, so happy when I'm around. I don't know she what's She doesn't. Like, if she cries around me, it's for, like, just like a couple minutes, and then just then it's just cool. She's just chilling. Wow. Yeah, but then like she's apparently she's up all night. Well, you're sleeping, so you wouldn't. Uh, you just have to take everyone else's word for it that she was. Yeah, you know. Good for but, you for getting some sleep though. You no, know, she's but she's been she's been great. She's wide eyed and uh, and beautiful. All right. Well, congratulations. Great week. Can't wait to see what the rest of the season has in store and you know what i'm gonna have to hit you up again when some of these star wars these prequels and sequels come out and get your thoughts on them i know i'm i'm terrified but i hope they're <laughs> I, I feel like you're the pro good. i have to ask you i'm such i'm such a fan that i'm actually i'm hopeful with you know with the leadership that they've kind of allowed to do their thing now letting directors tell their stories instead of telling a director what story oh, to okay. tell you know i i think that's a good model for filmmaking I hope that they continue to do that. Let people tell the stories. You know, you brought him in to tell a story. Let him tell it. I like it. He's very hopeful and optimistic about Star Wars. Yeah. Good to know. All right, thanks, Chris. Thank you so much for the time. No problem. Thanks for having me. When we did our media days back before training camp started, I remember Chris walked in, introduced himself to Mark and I. We knew who he was, but he introduced himself. We hit record, and we just started firing questions at him. And before he knew it, we had about 20 minutes. And Mark and I looked at each other when we were done, and we're like, oh, my gosh, he is awesome. Awesome. And he is. I mean, that interview is just fantastic. He is such a uh, – he's a unique guy with all the different things that he has done, where he has been. I, me- I remember him telling us in our uh, our media days interview, he had – he was, you know, he was a, a military brat, so he lived in so many different places and met so many different people. He's just a really unique guy, and I and love him. Absolutely love him. That interview was fantastic. So, coming up next, it'll be me. I'm unique, and I'm fantastic, too. Or at least that's what my wife likes to tell me uh, sometimes. But, I don't know, maybe I'm not that unique and fantastic. But I do know NFL football 
And I do like to pick games straight up and against the spread. And I will do that next right here on Texans All Access. Yes, sir. We've reached my favorite segment of radio all week long. And that is NFL picks and predictions from yours truly, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. This is always my favorite time because it's an opportunity for me to talk about the games throughout the NFL. I don't get a lot of chance to do that, and I love to do that. I love to look around the NFL, and this is one of the best ways I can do it. Put myself out there, test myself, pick games, see what I know, and see how close I can get to picking all of these games. Now, there are a few teams on by. I know the Saints are on a bye this week. I don't... I can't recall who else is. Maybe the Panthers look like the I know the Panthers are playing. Uh, Falcons, maybe. Oh, yeah, Falcons and Jets because they came back from London. So they're off this week. So Saints, Falcons, Jets, they're all off. But we have got plenty of games going on, including last night's game, Buccaneers 28-22. And by the way, I've come up with a new theory that was confirmed last night. I've thought this before, but now I know it for, for a fact. If I'm ever down 14 in a game, I will automatically go for two after the first touchdown. I will do exactly what the Eagles have done. I think I've seen the Eagles do this a number of times. Down 14, go for two. If you miss it, then you go for two a second time, you can still tie the game. you got two, two cracks, basically, to tie the game. But if you hit on the first one, all he needs is an extra point to win the game at the very end. I thought when it got 28-22, that was exactly what was going to happen on Thursday night. But it didn't as the Buccaneers moved to 5-1 and one this year. Only loss being the Rams. Eagles fall to 2-4. and four. Fun football game. Bad taunting penalty. Eh, this whole thing with the taunting stuff is just its ridiculous. I mean, the NFL said it's going to put an emphasis on it. So the players have got to adapt. Look, the players have adapted. Man, where am I going to hit a guy? Where am I going to hit him? I can't hit him high. I can't hit him low. can't hit him anywhere. Well, players, NFL players, have adapted to it. Well, guess what? They're calling taunting and all this other garbage. So adapt to it. It's as simple as that. Quincy, not Quincy Avery, uh, Denard Avery got nailed with a penalty last night that really I don't know, didn't cost the, the Eagles a game, but it was not helpful in the fourth quarter to say the least okay let's move on to these games let's get my music and let's rock let's rock in london 8 30 central time kick dolphins taking on the jags it does appear as if tua tongalailoa is going to be ready to go for this one for the dolphins what difference that makes not totally sure the dolphins just can't find a way to win defensively when they're not blitzing or blitzing well they get shredded, as Tom Brady showed last week. The Jags are still an underdog. Going to London, they're home away from home, and they're still an underdog. I'm not too surprised by that. Miami's only a three-point favorite, but I'm going to ride Miami here. I know Jacksonville's used to being in London, but quarterback and head coach, two more important positions seemingly, are not used to it. I still think Trevor plays well. But I think the Dolphins are just a tad better. The Dolphins are going to move to 2-4 and four and get a win. They're going to cover the three, but not by much. Let's go 21-17. Dolphins get one in London as both teams go into a bye next week. All right. 
The longest rivalry in the NFL is this one, and it takes place at Soldier Field as the Green Bay Packers, the 4-1 and Green Bay Packers, having won four in a row, take on the Chicago Bears, 3-2, and two, Justin Fields, now QB1 for the foreseeable future. Green Bay is favored at Chicago by six. It's about right with about where the teams have been playing, but I think this is an opportunity for the Bears to rise up. I don't think the Bears win this game, but I think Justin Fields plays well. I think competitive Great quarterbacks love to see a great quarterback on the other side, especially young dudes that want to prove themselves. I think Justin Fields will do whatever he's got to do to win and impress. They'll fall short. This feels 28-26, 26-24. I think Green Bay wins this, gets the 5-1, but I think the Bears keep it close. Bears to cover, Packers to win. Let's move on to the next NFC North team, and that is... The Detroit Lions. Snoop Lion. No, not that Snoop Lion. The Detroit Lions. 0-5. Two gut punch losses. Should actually be 2-3. The Lions are taking on the Bengals. The Bengals had a gut punch last week. Evan Evan McPherson missed two game-winning kicks. But Cincinnati's favored by 3.5 on the road. I know the Lions have got to get a win. I just think the Bengals are better right now. And I can't go... I can't go against them. So I'm going to say Cincinnati wins this thing. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give the Lions the opportunity to cover this thing. I'm going to split the middle on this. I'm going to give the Bengals the win, but the Lions the cover. So if the Lions upset them, then I win, kind of. So Lions to cover, Bengals to win outright. Colts and Texans never picked against my heart and my head. Two one four teams. A must win on both sides. Any favored by 10. Like I said, I won't pick against my heart and my head, but you know how I feel about all Texans games. Rams going to New York. East Coast negative body clock game. This game is at 1 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Pacific. That does have an impact. Does it have an impact to 8.5 points? That's what the Rams are favored. I don't think so. I think the Rams are just that much better than the Giants. I think the Rams come in and win this thing. It might be slow going. But they're eventually going to crank it up. I think this is 34 to 20. That's 14 points for the uh, math-challenged people out there. And look, I know there are many of you, and that's okay. I'm not looking down at you. 34-20, Rams win, Rams cover. Two 2-3 two and three football teams in Washington. The Kansas City Chiefs are taking on the Washington football team. It looks like the Washington football team may be without Terry McLaurin. That's horrible news. KC's favored by seven. I think KC goes nuts. I think this is the week where they just start to unleash a little bit, but they don't make mistakes. That's what's been killing them. They have made a ton of mistakes, and Washington's defense is not playing well enough to create the mistakes, so we're going Kansas City to win this thing 35-21. That's enough to cover the spread and give Kansas City a win. The Vikings are taking on the Panthers. It's an interesting game. I remember watching this game in the offseason last year. Teddy Bridgewater was playing for the Panthers, and I just felt like there's so much that they left out on the field. So much. The Vikings, some good, some bad. Last week they came from behind to get the victory with a last-second field goal to beat the Lions. They very easily could be 1-4. Minnesota's favored by 2.5 on the road. Not having it. Panthers are going to win this thing at home. They're going to cover that two and a half. Panthers win in an upset. 
at home. That's, I, I, that line feels weird to me, so I'm going Panthers. Even though the Panthers have played seemingly well the last couple weeks, we're going Panthers. One of, if not the game of the weekend. Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, mano a mano in Baltimore. 4-1 versus 4-1. These two guys are arguably the two hottest quarterbacks in the league right now. Throwing, running when they need to, carrying their teams. I mean, it's been incredible to watch these two play. It's in Baltimore, so I'm going to give the Ravens the slight edge, and the 2.5 is just enough. I think this is Baltimore by 3. This is 31-28. This is 34-31. I think the Ravens win another cliffhanger over Justin Herbert and the Chargers, and in the process, cover that two and a half. Now, I would have said this next game, as we transition to our afternoon games, would be the game of the weekend. However, there's one big issue for the Browns as they take on the undefeated Arizona Cardinals, and that issue is Nick Chubb. Chubb is out of this game. Now, the Browns' running game will not suffer completely. Kareem Hunt is still a top of the top of the league back, but the one-two punch is what puts teams to sleep. That I don't think can happen. Cleveland's favored by three and a half in Cleveland. I have every ounce of my being says Cardinals because Chubb is out, but you know what? I'm still going to go with Cleveland in a close one and inside the three and a half. So Cleveland's going to win this thing Knock Arizona from the ranks of the undefeated. But they won't cover. Arizona will get inside that three and a half. Kyler Murray does just enough against his former OU teammate, Baker Mayfield. Let's go Browns. 35-32. Three-point victory. But Arizona gets inside that three and a half. Raiders, Broncos. Now, this one's interesting because the Raiders now have Rich Biaci as their new head coach. The Broncos... I've lost two in a row, and it's not been pretty the last two weeks. Through an interception in the back of the end zone on fourth down last week to have a potential opportunity to tie the game. Week before that, the Ravens ran all over the Broncos, uh, even while they should have been taking a knee. I don't know which team to trust at all in this one. This would be one in Vegas I wouldn't touch at all. But in that case, I am going with the Denver Broncos at home. It's about the only thing I feel. It's eight hey, at home. I'll go with the Broncos. They're a four-point favorite. So let's go with Denver. Let's go with Denver to win this thing 28-21. That covers the four. I just don't trust either team. If you are going to Vegas, stay away from that one. I just don't love it. But I'll go Broncos at home. Cowboys, the Patriots in New England. Patriots return home after a comeback victory in Houston. The Cowboys come a-calling, and the Cowboys are hot. Four in a row, moving the ball on everybody. I think the Patriots are going to have a very difficult time stopping the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys win this by 10, 30 to 20. I think the defense does just enough to slow down Mac Jones. I think the Cowboys offense will just go great guns. I think this is 30 to 20. Cowboys win on the road over the Patriots. Seahawks, Steelers, Sunday night. Eh, not too excited about this one, but you know what? It's football, so who cares? We all love football, and we'll love this game too. It's just not as sexy as some of them that we've seen. Seahawks go to the Steelers. Steelers are favored by five. I don't feel good about any of that. Russell Wilson being banged up. Don't love it. But I'm going to go Steelers because they're at home and Russell Wilson's out. So let's go Steelers to win by seven. That covers the five. Give the Steelers a win to get to 500. And then Monday night, 
Bills v. Titans. I think the Bills want this one as much as they wanted that game against the Chiefs. They were embarrassed last year in Tennessee on a Tuesday night. I think the Bills trounce the Titans. All right, we got one segment left. When we get back, we'll have some Houston Methodist minutes and Drew Doherty's final word this week with John Grenard. That's next on Texans All Access. It's All Access. It's all a- we got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access, a TGIF edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. Now, we got a couple things we need to do in this final segment because I think we checked the box on everything else. We talked to Coach Cully. We talked to John Grenard with the Drews Dozen. We had Chris Conley on the show with DP Studio for our Deep Slant Interview of the Week. I gave you keys to the game. I gave you predictions. We've got two things we need to do. Number one, we got to do our Houston Methodist Minutes with Mark Vandermeer. Let's start right there. It's Houston Methodist Minutes. Joining us right now, Dr. Alicia Robichaud, talking about sports psychology. How's it going, doctor? Good morning. It's going very well. All right, well, let's discuss this. And you and I have talked about some of the elements here before, but how important is it for athletes to maintain their mental state and what can they do to maintain it so they perform at a high level each and every time out? I know that's a lot to ask, and maybe it's too low to the question, but what do you think? You know, I think each athlete has a different way of getting their performance to their their level of expertise that they want to perform. Some of my elite athletes definitely see a sports psychologist to make sure they're on target and working as hard as they should. Some of my less elite athletes may do positive affirmations and, and vision performance kind of techniques. But a lot of people mostly you know, really need to be in the right frame of mind to be as successful as possible. If you feel you're going to fail, you're likely going to fail. If you feel you're going to drop a pass or miss a throw, you're probably going to do the same thing. So having the good attitude, working on getting enough sleep, working on making sure we walk in that we're going to do the very best every time we touch our sport is extremely imperative for a lot of these athletes because you can psych yourself out. And so many sports are predominantly mental. Golf is very mental. Football mm-hmm. and basketball can be a lot of mental as well. So, you know, we really work on making sure we're in the right frame of mind, make sure we've had enough sleep, make sure we want to be there because that can make a huge difference in an athlete's performance. Doctor, there's that, is it urban legend or was there really a study where a bunch of uh, individuals do free throw shooting practice versus free throw shooting creative visualization and the visualization group did as well, if not better than the other group? Can you shed some light on that? You know, there have been a lot of studies in a lot of different sports. So I know there has been studies in free throw shooting. There's been sports uh, studies in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Um, as a college gymnast at LSU, we would always have a relaxation time on Wednesday or Thursday before our meet where we would lay down and we would visualize each one of our routines. Now, the crazy thing is sometimes you get a little out of control when you're anxious and you may visualize not being able to release the bars and you keep swinging and you keep swinging and you keep swimming. And that can be destructive. So visualization can be really important. Golf techniques use a lot of visualization, doing just a golf swing without a golf club, visualing that the ball is going to go in the direction that you want it to go. Um, Basketball does it with free throws. Um, You know, football does it with, you know, plays. And so, yes, visualization techniques can be extremely helpful, but mostly it works on the brain that you already know you're going to make the pass. You're going to hit the ball. You're going to perform the skill perfectly. 
So I'm thinking about superstition here, and often that can just be a way to say routine, right? People who do certain things before they go out on the field, well, this is a superstition. No, it's something they do to set the tone because they performed that well before. Could that be the case? Yes, Absolutely. Technique and, and routine, doing the same thing, doing it perfectly, doing it with the right expertise at the right angle. Those are good things to visualize, good things to remember. And it's it's kind of body mechanics, making sure your body knows exactly where it's supposed to be and where it's supposed to go. Doctor, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. You guys have a great day. Dr. Alicia Robichaux of Houston Methodist. Don't forget, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. If you want information about screenings, getting checked early, HoustonMethodist.org slash pink. It's the official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. That was some fantastic stuff right there with Mark Vandermeer and our Houston Methodist Minutes. Now, the second thing that we need to do is we got to give Drew Doherty the final word. That's the way that I do things. I always give Drew Doherty. I started this, I don't know, about three or four years ago. I looked at him one day and I just said, he always gives me his player interview for Friday. And I thought, you know what? Drew Doherty, final word. It just kind of fit together. And I was like, Drew, you're going to get the final word every Friday. And he went, cool. All right. And this week, it's John Grenard, JG52 with Drew Doherty. This pregame interview is powered by Reliant. We've got defensive lineman Jonathan Grenard. Jonathan, always good to be with you. And after three games played for you, you missed those first two due to injury. How much more comfortable are you getting? How much more into the rhythm are you getting? What's it been like for you? I mean, I think just getting reps in general, practicing in the games, obviously, just getting reps overall, especially D-line, helps out a lot. I think that is just a true testament of the hard work. It's the dedication we put, not just myself, but the team, and we all kind of gel together. I think when I play better or when one guy plays better, we kind of feed off of each other. So I think that kind of makes the energy for all of us to play better. So it was fun, man, just getting the feedback wet. I still got some stuff under me that I can just work on and get back better. So um, I'm excited, though. Yeah, it seemed like it was a really productive offseason for you, preseason, right. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest drawback, other than being hurt, but right. the biggest drawback of missing that time in August and early September? Yeah, man, it was tough. I mean, just being away from the game, obviously, for some you love, no one wants to be hurt. But I think just the camaraderie, and like I said, us feeding off each other, unknowing each other's tendencies from the linebackers all the way down, it just helps out. I mean, if he knows that I'm a guy that's going to slip a block yep. or, you know, if I'm a guy that's going to just shoot the gap and just clean it up, I mean, it goes hand-in-hand. So I think overall, missing that and just being out there with the boys, it, that's something I definitely miss. Yeah, five games in. How do you think this defense as a whole is progressing? I think we still got a lot in the tank. We play well so far. I don't think we've played great and we haven't played the way we want to play. I'm obviously just finishing in that aspect. But overall, I think just, just from the standpoint of, you know, technique-wise, you know, understanding the scheme of the defense and what we how we want to attack people, I think we've done a solid job so far. Tell me about this Colts offensive line. It's missing a piece or two, no Quentin Nelson, but still it seems like a pretty capable unit. Tell me about the challenge up front with those guys. Right. I mean, they still got fish. I mean, it was a vet in this league, respecting this league. A couple guys, just, I mean, uh, Ryan Kelly as well. Pretty much we know what type of team they are, and they're they're a team who plays well collectively as a unit up front. But I think we got our work cut out for us, and we understand who Indianapolis is. We understand that they're a hard-nosed team. They want to grind it out. They want to make sure they run the football, impose their will, and try to open up the offense, I mean, their defense. Open yeah. up our defense after that. So I think we just got to stop the run first and foremost and, and respect the game and doing that, and that will hope, hopefully get us to where we want to go on third down. 
Hey, stopping the run against this team is right. no joke. Oh, yeah. You're a second-year player. Right. Jonathan Taylor is a second-year player. Right. You obviously knew who he was coming out. Right. What have been your impressions about him? Because he came out like a ball of fire, oh, yeah. and it looks like he's even better. Three of the five games he's played so far this year, he's had 100 oh, yards from scrimmage. Easily, yeah, for sure. I mean, Jay Taylor is definitely was going to be a respected back, if not already, in this league for a long time. But, yeah, he he's very decisive, very patient at times. He's a, pretty much an all-around back. I mean, he's mm-hmm. everything you can ask for for a coach running back. I mean, he kind of fits that scheme. But, yeah, we got to, like I said, we got to work cut out for us. He's no slouch by any means. He still falls at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. We still definitely got to just get all 11 hats to the ball, and I like ourselves on defense. So it's going to be a battle. I mean, I, I like what we got going into it, and it won't be no cakewalk. Yeah, tell me about the quarterback. He had a good game against yeah, the sure. Ravens and looks like a little bit different player than he was last sure. year and before. Carson Wentz, what impresses you most? It's Carson Wentz at the end of the day. I mean, people can say what he wants. He's been through some injuries, been banged up. They can say he's not that same guy, but at the end of the day, if he wants to turn it on that quick, just mm-hmm. like that, I mean, he can still – open the game up and, and take over. So um, we got to respect them. I mean, we just play our game and, and, and make them feel uncomfortable, and I think the game will come to us like any other quarterback. At the end of the day, he's still Carson Wentz. we got to respect him and, and, and things that he can do is quality-wise. Uh, quality so just got to get 11 hats to the ball, make him feel uncomfortable, and it'll, it'll, it'll be what we want. Okie doke. Now let's see how you're powering game day. For sure. It's a noon central time kickoff. Mm-hmm. Therefore, how much sleep do you get the night before? What time do you wake up for a noon game? Oh, man. No game. I'm probably up like 7, 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. something like that, just to get the body loose and stuff. I make sure I eat a good breakfast. Just I get stretched out when I get up there, just so that way I can just get my body in that mode of just waking up. And once I'm up, I'm up. And then when I get that meal in me, I'm pretty much ready to go. So it's really no, not much different. Kind of almost waking up as if we got a 1230 practice. I mean, we practice mm-hmm. at 1230 already, so I kind of pretty much do the same routine, get up here about 630, 7 o'clock, maybe sometimes a little later if we don't have anything, and uh, just go from there. I mean, I don't really switch too much up just because it's it's no point. I mean, if it works, sure. don't fix it. I hear you. you. You bring up the meal. What do you eat before a game? Got to get my eggs in. Got to get my potatoes in. Um, How are the eggs cooked? Definitely scrambled with cheese. Okay. Um, I put a little pico in there, you know, some – some bacon and ham, especially if I, if I get it personalized. But the bread, as far as, you know, pancakes or waffles, whatever is on there, if it's too much, maybe I'm a I'm a big French toast guy. So okay. if they got French toast, I eat it. If it's pancakes, waffles, something like that, I may chill a little bit because I don't want to get overwhelmed by eating too much. But, I uh, hear you. But definitely got to get some eggs, potatoes in there for sure. All right. When we go off the air and you, if you happen to run into Danny Amendola, your teammate, ask him about French toast French. and pregame. He, he has some good ideas for you. I Final will. thing. What are you listening to Man. before the game? What, what sort of music you got going? Man, I'm playing straight R&B, a, little, a lot of gospel. Pretty much the stuff to calm me down, just keep me mellow, you know, because I don't want to get too riled up for a game. Then I let it out, obviously, during the game uh, when it comes up. But, yeah, R&B and slow jams. I mean, I'm just a guy that likes to relax, get in my element, think about what I got to do, get warmed up. It's crazy. I can get warmed up and excited off of just listening to some old school R&B stuff like that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm an old soul, so I like to listen to those things to kind of keep me settled before the game get going. All right, well, we hope the music is sweet before the game. We hope you make sweet music. For sure. Sacking quarterbacks and tackling Jonathan Taylor behind the line of scrimmage. Jonathan Bernard, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck against the Colts. Appreciate you for having me. There it is. We put it all in the books. We got Coach Cully. We got Chris Conley, DP City. We got Mark Vanderman, Houston Methodist. Minutes. We got my keys. We got my predictions. We got Drew Doherty with John Grenard, and we got Drew Doherty with John Grenard. We did it all, and that's the way we'd like to do it on a Friday. Hopefully you have enjoyed it. I appreciate you all so much. I can't even begin to tell you, but thank you. I, 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 even if I don't say it on air, I think it every day. We couldn't do this without you guys. Thank you so much. We will see you from Lucas Oil on Sunday. And as always, go Texans and go Astros. Go Astros.